the host of this show, Max Naist, lived in addiction for years and made lots of destructive choices, which resulted in losing friends, family, and his career. After being in jail for the fourth time, he knew he needed to make some big changes. Now, sober for 17 years, he shares the steps he took, which led to recovery and got his life back. Welcome to Fearless Happiness. 19.7 million American adults have battled a substance use disorder. 38% of adults have battled an illicit drug use disorder. But no matter what the struggle, no matter the challenge, you can overcome anything and become successful. Max and his guests share experience, strength, hope, and faith. If it's PTSD or military-related, trauma, physical, verbal, sexual addiction, alcoholism, you can accomplish your dreams. And with this show, we help others be fearless in their pursuit of happiness. This is Fearless Happiness, and this is Max Naist. Welcome to the Fearless Happiness Podcast. Today, I have a really cool guest, Rick Chromie, right? That's right. I said you it right. said it right. Ah, I didn't butcher a name. Yay. Um, but what I like to do with the audience, Rick, is I let you introduce yourself, like exactly who you are and what you do. And then we're just going to go from there. All right. Well, thank you, Max, for having me on this uh, fearlessly happy show that you've got going on here, this podcast. It's good to be with you. Uh, my name is uh, Rick Chromie. I am a pastor, a teacher writer uh, and a speaker. And I basically help people to interpret history and navigate culture and explore faith. And I help them to do it to hopefully transform their lives and the lives of other people around them. Right. That's good. We need more people like you, right, Uh, Rick? Um, So exactly. So like what I want to get into, right, first, as we dive into this um, let people know some like some of the challenge you faced to, from where you came from to becoming a pastor, uh, an author, and a speaker, right? Because all of us have our stories, and I believe they're all unique. And what I like to show the audience is that people can overcome whatever they're going through, right? That's it's the whole reason I started this podcast. It's the whole reason I started uh, wrote my book is to show it doesn't matter where you come from, right? All of us go through challenges, and, and the people that I get to be that come and become a guest on my podcast share that that journey, right? How they went yeah. from humble beginnings to where they're at now. So take it away, Rick, and let them know like what's <laughs> what are some of the greatest challenges you that you faced oh. on your journey in becoming a pastor and author and, and a speaker? Well, I, I suppose um, most of my challenges would be of, of, of such that uh, maybe, uh, I don't want to use the word lesser man, because I don't know if, if a lesser man is, I just never gave up. I, I really never gave up with, with life. And I think that's because I had a kindergarten teacher who once basically kind of put a tape into my head and she did it through my mom that uh, I could do and be anything I wanted when I grew up, that I was very creative and a lot of energy and that that, that she felt that I was going to do something special. And I just kind of always kept that tape. And why that's important is because uh, when I was 12 years of age, uh, I lived basically in an alcoholic, drug-addled um, house. My mom was an alcoholic. My my dad was a was a trucker. He was only home on the weekends, so I had ADD, absent dad disorder. And it was it was pretty hard. And then at about well, I was age twelve. I literally came home from we called it junior high school back in those days. Came back from junior high school and one day for lunch, and my mom was gone. She literally had abandoned the family. And I grew up in central Montana. I didn't I, I, out in the middle of nowhere. And, and so when you start thinking of, uh, you know, 
people like to talk today about privileges and such. I, I, I've never known privilege right. uh, in, in any way. You know, I have economic disadvantage. My family was was lower blue blue collar. You know, we we were sometimes even on food stamps. Uh, you know, it was uh, unemployment was often was common in my house, and so you know it was it was a poor. We lived on the wrong side of the tracks. I mean, I had a I didn't have a, a great education. No, you know, my family didn't have a real value on education, and I'm a doctor today. You know, I, I have a doctorate and, you know, I had to literally all through my life, keep going further than anybody expected me to go. Keep pushing the, the going further, never let anyone define my mood or my method or my mission. I just kept moving forward. Um, but yeah, my mom ran out on us when uh, she was, when I was 12 and I was the oldest. Uh, at that point, uh, we came very close to being farmed off to, uh, um, you know, some relatives back east. And, uh, and, and even there was talk about splitting us kids up. Uh, I came very close to going to a youth home, uh, basically, oh, wow. because there was no else to put me. I mean, it was, it was just really, it was really rough. And, you know, that was, that was probably the big obstacle, uh, you know, as far as overcoming that, because I had a lot of hate in my life as a result of, you know, I hated my mom for years and years and years and years. And, you know, I, other obstacles, uh, you know, again, I didn't have money. I didn't have uh, means. I didn't have any type of uh, wealth to go to college. I had to do that all on my own. And I worked, you know, I literally worked two, three jobs. Sometimes I wrote right. my first book and I wrote my first book in college. And, and the reason I did that was because I was tired of working at the grocery store. You know? <laughs> right. But, you know, th those are just those those are some of the challenges. And I think probably the most recent one for me uh, in 2013, my wife of, of 30 years, uh, for whatever reason, decided that she didn't want to be married anymore. And she walked out the door. And that was that plunged me into a very deep, dark uh uh, chapter in my life. And, uh, you know, all along the way, for me anyway, my faith has has kept me at least focused that that there's going to be a better day, you know, right. fearlessly happy, just keep moving forward. And I've gone through all the stuff I've tried. I, I, I've been addicted to various things in my life. And I've, I've, I've done the recovery work in my life. I've dealt with uh, healing. I've dealt with amends. I've done all those things. And the only thing that I have found that for me, you know, might not be for everybody, but for me, that has brought that peace, that fearless happiness, I call it joy, by the way, into yeah. my life was my faith in, in, in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Right. And that brings me to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you this question, right? Like, because my, my mom and dad divorced when I was very young, right? So mm -hmm. I know that hate what you're talking about. It, it could come because, you know, I mean, they have, it was her and him and the, the whatever the truth is, right? They, they, right. From what I hear, it was my dad's job took him overseas, right? And my mom, from what I learned growing up was like, no, I want my sons to have some roots, right? I don't want them traveling all over the world, you know? I want them to make yeah. friends and have a place they can call home. You know, not like the military life where like one minute it's home, next minute, oh, we're off to this base or, you know, or whatever, you know, and I, I realized too that I, I carried a lot of hate towards my dad for not being there, you know, and, but I realized that, you know, they, they both did what they knew how to do. And they both did what they thought was best for us. Right. So I carried that hate too. So I, I can relate. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. Mom, if, I don't know. For me, for me, I don't know if I really hated my dad, I, my mom. I hated her because she was the one that left us. Well, that, that's just, what I was, I was going to get at, right? Because yeah. your mom left and took off out of the home. That's how I looked at my dad, that 
he couldn't, oh, you know, okay. you know what I'm saying? Like he took up and, and it, to me growing up uh, and so what happened right at about 11 years old, I just, yeah, I just turned, turned 11. My dad passed away after not seeing him for so long. He came right. And, and as a young kid, uh, you know, a child, when someone says, I promise I'll be back for your birthday and then they don't show up. And then the next thing you hear is they passed away. Right. So that's what I mean, where I can relate. Right. Cause your mom took off and left you. That's kind of the hate I had for my dad for getting up and leaving and how dare he die, you know, like, you know, the things that go through a kid's head. Right. And, you know, having, I, having a faith, you know, growing up, not necessarily in one church, but like my mom left it to us to say, here's what I believed in, but I'm going to let you guys come up with, right. When I'd go to this church with my brother, you know, my brother-in-law and sister, uh, we were always raised in the Christ, you know, to believe in Jesus Christ. And, you know, so it, it went back and forth. Right. And I was a guy, but then when I got addicted, the, the hate for everything came out. Right. Because truly when I looked at it, I hated myself. Right. Because I had let my life go so far down the scale that I was just like, okay, this is my dead father's fault, you know, that I'm in this position, even though he's been dead for years, right? Or it's my mom's fault for not following my dad where we could have been a family, you know, all these things that I go. So yeah, uh, too, I have a story of addiction, right? And, and and then I found God again, or God found me again through the 12 steps. And I, I thank God for that every day, right? Because it's put me in contact with people like yourself. And, you know, see, your story is it, it that story drove you to become a better human being as what I, I heard, right? You became a doctor. Uh, you wrote a book. You become a speaker. I had to take. The, I had to really dig that hole first before I came back out. So, um, but like, tell the audience that you know, you just gave them some of the challenges. That that thing that I love the most is that faith you said that you've always had. That right? You knew that there was a better day if I just kept doing, you know, small steps forward, as they say, every day. How did that look like for you? And tell the audience, like, tell them some of your worst days you had and some of the best days yeah. because of that faith, right? Because faith is very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is powerful. But here's the reality, Max. I spent um, 30 years of my life in my addiction. I spent um, three, 30 years of my life, uh, actually 40 years of my life. Uh, absolutely. You know, I started off hating my mom. And then because I was a Christian pastor, uh, knowing that, you know, I really can't hate my mom. I got to love her, you know, all that. Uh, right. That was important. So I, uh, I basically got to the spot where I, I told my mom, in my in my twenties, I said, uh, "I'll take care of you. I will do what a son should do. I will uh, be. I will tend to your needs. I will help you out from time to time as you need it. But um, there there are three words that you will never hear from me on this side of life, and you will never hear these words. And I know you want them. She craved them, and that was the words. I love you. I said, I will never. I will never. You, you will never hear those words from my lips till the day I die. And what happened, Max, was I spent the next thirty years in my own private hell." My addiction from time to time would would sprout, and and it was the type of addiction that I could carry with me as a pastor. It was a hidden addiction. It was something that was a, a men's integrity issue. You know, it wasn't going to get me thrown in jail. It wasn't. You know, it could get me fired in some places. You know, I suppose. Right. But it was one of those things where I I I played with the devil. I, 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 I played with fire, and it it, it was warm. I always like to me one of my favorite songs is. Um, um, you know, you too. I love the music of you too. And uh, they have a song from the 1987 called, I still haven't found what I'm looking for a very popular song. And in there, he talks about uh, how he, he had, I'm trying to see if I can capture the actual lyric as, as he put it, he says, I have held the hands of the devil. It was warm in the night, but I was cold or left cold as a stone. 
you know, or maybe cold and alone. I, I, I've always thought cold as a stone, but maybe it's cold and alone. But I love that lyric because it, it goes, you know, when I held the hand of the devil and it felt warm, it felt good. But when morning came, I felt cold. I felt alone. I felt desperate. And the issue with my dad, uh, incidentally, was, you know, no, he didn't leave, but uh, I was, you know, he just was emotionally absent from my life. And so I spent, uh, you know, most of my life, I never heard the words, I love you from him. Uh, I never heard I, I'm proud of you or anything else. So I became a perfectionist. I actually wrote my first book at 25, my first self-published book at 25 with the hopes that I would hear my dad say, I'm proud of you, son. But that didn't come. Uh, it, it actually, it, it, in my forties, he finally had a heart attack and that drove him to have some introspection. And he came to me and wanted to reconnect and we did. And we, we made our amends at that point. Um, my mom and I, that continued. I was 50 years old. In fact, the uh, two years before my wife walked out on me, uh, I was coming close to my 50th uh, year of life. And I decided, you know, I've got to do some stuff. I got I to gotta get real with who I am. And I don't like this. I was so depressed. I was on medication. I was, you know, I, I was every, everything. I mean, I was just messed up to the hilt. Great at showing who I, you know, when I was out in public, when I was on stage, I'm a speaker and, and I'm, you know, I'm traveling all over the country, all over the world. I could, I could just, I could be somebody. I'm an actor. I mean, that's what I was. Okay. But when I got behind closed doors, it was really rough. And I'll just just to give you the end of the story, because I don't want to forget this for your listeners. I don't want them to miss what happened with my mom. I went through this 12 step. I went through this recovery program. And, and as you know, Max, there's this amends, amendment process where you have to make amends for to people. And right. I realized that's where I got stuck in my recovery was I had to actually make amends and, and tell my mom that I forgive you. And I'm going to ask her to forgive me for how I treated her. And on Mother's Day, and I believe it was in 2014 or 2015, uh, I, uh, I'd be 2015, I called her up. And I said, uh, mom, I'm going to give you the gift that you've been wanting for decades. And I told her, I said, I love you. And we had probably one of the best conversations. We'd always had difficult conversations up to that point, but we had the most honest. She was so sorry she ever did what hurt. She never meant to hurt us kids. And on and on and on she went. And I said, "It's I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. Will you forgive me for how I've treated you? And she said, oh, yes, yes, yes. And I love you. And, I, and, and we never ended a conversation after that. In fact, even this day with my dad, we never end a conversation without I love you. Yeah. It's, and it's heartfelt. But within um, less than a year later, she passed away. She passed away. And I am so glad I took the time. You know, there's another song by uh, Mike and the Mechanics about the living years. Oh, I know that song very well. Yeah. I wish I would have told my dad in the living years. Yeah. You know, and I guess that's why that's a pain for me. Even right now today is because of the divorce. I have a daughter who does not speak to me. She lives right here, you know, 20 miles, 20 minutes away from me. And she will not speak to me. I have a granddaughter that I've never actually held. And it is, it is my dark, you know, valley that I travel through right now because I I'm a relationship guy, but I, I can't, I, all I can do is control my own moods my yep. own methods, my own mission. I can't control the choices of others. So what Absolutely. do you want to know? I mean, that's, that's my story. I'm yeah. a messed up <laughs> goober of a guy. No, but see, but that's like what I try to show the audience. I mean, it happens everywhere, right? Like people have their stories and it takes what it takes to get to that place. Like you said, for forgiveness, right? Like for years, I did the same, even though my mom 
was a single mother, right? And did her best. Like we never went without food. We never went out without shelter, right? We always had the cool clothes, maybe not the most expensive, but we had our bands, you know, jeans and stuff we really wanted. Um, There was part of me that would like not forgive her if that makes Mm -hmm. sense for divorcing my dad. And then, you know, what I just told you about me not forgiving my dad for passing away and leaving when I was young. Right. And I always had those questions, right? Like, I remember growing up and I would have like talks with God, like, okay, I don't understand this. And, and, you know, I'm supposed to believe in you. Right. But I'm really pissed off at you. And, you know, and then fast forward, I go into my addiction. Right. And then it gets worse. Like I abandon God really. Cause here's like, when I went through that process, right. uh, Of going through the 12 steps, right. You know, like one of the things my sponsor told me, he says, well, we're going to start your amends. Now you start writing your letters, but if you write, sorry, in any of those letters, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm warning you because you have burned out. Sorry. I will rip up those letters. Right. So you need to figure out how to tell people I'm sorry without saying I'm sorry. Right. Cause amends is you and I know means to change, right. To, to make different. So like hearing what you said, like I carry that. And I carry that towards some family members that I hadn't seen in so long, you know, like I had my older brother, one of my oldest brothers who lives in Holland and sister, right? They lived in Holland. I lived here, but then I would have, I don't know. I felt like he was angry at me and I was angry at him, right? Like he lived here in the States for a while and then he took off and it was like, we never spoke again for a long time, but now we're close, right? So But what I'm getting at is like that forgiveness process you went through. It was like, I had to take a look at me. Like from what I hear, what I hearing from you is like, you finally said, I'm going to take a look at the mirror at the guy that's looking back at me. And what can I do to change, right? To, to give, like you said, your mom, that gift of, I love you. And, um, right. So like one of my stories that I tell people that one of the greatest gifts I ever gave my mother, right? So it was about two weeks before she passed. My mom passed you know, this Thanksgiving. It'll be five years ago on Thanksgiving um, or on the 24th of this month. Um, we were sitting together in her assisted living, right? Monday nights were my nights to spend the night and keep an eye on mom, make sure she ate and just hung out, you know, just made her. We always made sure of all the siblings that were left that one of us stayed with her. Like, so Monday through Friday, she was covered, right? Because there was five of us left. And so we'd all take turns. And um, so we were watching TV and um, she's like rubbing my leg. And I'm like, what's going on, mom? And she is really quiet, kind of looked off, you know, and and she looks at me and she goes, I want to thank you for 13 years of your sobriety. She goes, I have to thank God for, for answering my prayers, you know? I had just turned 14, but I didn't correct her, you know, but I tell the audience, like, (laughs) I wanted to correct her so bad. Mom, I'm 14. Anyway, but you know what? Those are those gifts, like you say, from forgiveness that you get. And she gave me a hug and she said, thank you. And and I I kissed her on the cheek. And, you know, like growing up, my mom was not the most affectionate person, right? Because she had to play the dad, the mom role. And she was strict, right? She came from the old school because like her, her dad, her biological father was a prisoner of war from Japan when the Japanese tried to take over Indonesia. And so she became mother for her younger siblings. And my mom was the oldest. So really she wasn't, you know, as I look back, when she got older, right, she became like, she'd say, I love you, right? And, and but I would never remember her hugging us a lot, right? So one night, my wife gave me this suggestion. She goes, just do it. Your mom will love it. And I'm like, what? She goes, when she gets ready to go to bed, just go in the bed and cuddle with her real quick. And, and I go, my mom does not like that stuff. And she goes, just do it. And I remember that night I did that, you know, and I cuddled with her for a minute. And she's like, for a second, you could tell us, she was like, like, this is 
And then she's like, okay, that's enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I had to laugh and I go, that was so cool, mom. And I could just see the joy on her face, right? Because that forgiveness process took me a long time because it didn't happen right away when I first got sober, right? I still had some resentments towards her and towards other people. And, you know, I was just a big hot mess. And what I learned in that amends process, like it sounds like you did, it's, it really starts with me, right? So I started making those amends, whether, you know, because what I would learn from my mentors and my sponsor was that it was for me. Even if yeah. the person like slammed the door in my face, like you, I don't even want to talk to you. I still had to make the amends because if I wanted to continue to grow as a human being and forgive myself and other people that I had to make it anyway. And, and here I am 18 years later, right. And I'm on this podcast with pastor Rick and, you know, to me, <laughs> like you can't put a price on this to me anymore. Right. Like this is, this is what God has put in my life. And I'm like, yeah, I get to meet these interesting people that share similar stories, even though we've come from way different backgrounds backgrounds, right? Um, so I really enjoyed that story, right? Because growing up as a kid, you we don't understand what our parents are going through, right? They Well, at least for me, I can say that I always thought it was like I did something wrong. Like it was, yeah. excuse me, my fault. Like it was my fault my dad left or, you know, and then when I went through my divorce, yeah. then, you know, I had my son tell me that. I remember one of those memories you'll never forget, right? Was him crying, thinking it was his fault. Mommy and daddy were divorcing, right? When it was, you know, it was both of our faults, right? It just wasn't working anymore. And I I actually think that's why my daughter, you know, and if she's listening to this for some reason, I love you. <laughs> and I'd love to reconnect with you. But I think that's why my daughter uh, has been so distant is because she she was not able to process the as an adult, she was an adult when we divorced and was not able to to uh, to process that. Uh, did not make it did not compute. We were such a happy family in every way. I mean, there there was there was nothing in our family that was I mean, we never taught even the word divorce. It was never even part of the vocabulary. Um, we had some fighting, I suppose, uh, as a husband and wife, like anyone does with disagreements. And, and maybe a few of those might get a little vocal, but even our fighting wasn't all that. It wasn't until the very end. My son actually experienced more of the intense stuff than my daughter did. But but Max, I got to tell you. Uh, I think that's why she uh, really struggles uh, with, with, um, with it. And, and especially since I remarried, you know, right. that's, a, that's the part that's been beautiful. My story has ended in a very happy, wonderful way. Um, you know, seven, eight years ago, I was, I was almost homeless. I mean, it was so bad. I was I was renting a house and I, the house was going to go away because I couldn't afford the rent. And I lost my job, the divorce as a pastor, by the way, uh, in the churches that I was serving, a divorce pastor was basically, you take them out of the, they're not allowed to pastor anymore. So if I lost my job at the church I was serving, you know, which was my rent check that particular month uh, that, at that time, I mean, and it was, it was hard, but God was working. And, and here's what I tell all my addict friends. If you're an addict out there, if you're still, and we're all addicts, by the way. Don't 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 think you're not an addict. Just think because you're listening to Max and Rick here, um, <laughs> wax eloquent about their their past addictions. You know, the truth is, we're all addicts to something, and right. there is something in our life that controls us. And it's it's you know, in the old days, they would call it an idol. I suppose you know, it was something that we put up there and to worship. But right. we all have that. But for me, my I don't know about you, Max, but you know, I didn't I didn't go after my addiction just because it made me feel good because I knew it. Would make me feel lousy in the morning. The guilt that it would bring in my life would make me feel absolutely lousy. And yet I still just dived right on in. Oh, let's yeah. go. Yeah. Let's just go. Let's go. Let's feel good for a while. And and that's the problem with addiction is it's a, it's a temporary fix for an eternal ah. problem. 
And the eternal problem is that we need connection. We need relationship. And I learned in my own recovery process that it was emotional insecurity that was driving my addiction. And that was why it was getting worse was because I was feeling in my own marriage, the the relationship that should be the most intimate and and most secure spot for me to go was becoming increasingly insecure. And when I got that, when that light went on in my recovery, I went, now I understand. Right. And that's when I started to create uh, security in other ways. And that's how I had to relearn. In my case, you know, I had to relearn and, and it was funny once I relearned those, uh, how to be secure in the moment with, with, with people. Um, and you got to understand the reason I felt insecure is because if you've been abandoned, you know, abandonment, abandonment issues are terrible. And some of your listeners have abandonment issues. They're terrible because you literally have this idea that you've got to fight or you got to run, you know, and it's leave before you get left. It's, it's hurt before you get hurt. You know, it's all those things. And, and, and then you, you throw an addiction on top of there to make you feel good because you feel so lousy. And and you nailed it. That's That's my life for 40 years. That's exactly (laughs) it. Right. That's that's a pastor of my life. (laughs) (laughs) And that's exactly why I used, right. First it was, so I didn't have to feel right. And, and then it was the guilt and shame would kick in and that would get so great. So as uh, you know, for my addiction, when you're coming down, it, it, that increases tenfold. So you got to get more right. And, and, you know, I didn't want to take a look at the people I was hurting, like my children, you know, part of my story is that I didn't see my kids for nine years because the drink and the drug was so much more important that that was my new God, my new lover, my new everything. Right. And it didn't matter if they were in the house next door, I was going to take care of me. You know, that selfish, self-centered part of me was like, I don't want to feel that way. So sorry, kids. You know, when I look, because I used to tell my sponsor, right? Like <laughs> in the beginning. So here you'll laugh at this, right? So I, I'd always go, you know, you know, I have to make amends. I got to do all this stuff, man. You know, and you know, God loved me so much. Why would he put a nice guy like me in jail? And my sponsor would just go, dude. <laughs> He was saving your life. He was putting you in a safe place. And then I would go, God, he always has an answer. And then, okay, well, well, if God loved me so much, why did he take my kids away? He goes, dude, you gave them away. He was just making sure they were safe until you pulled your head out and came back and could be a dad. Right? He like, was oh. protecting them from you. <laughs> Absolutely. And I would just be like, oh my God, this guy's so right. You know, when I would sit down and think about it, right? Because I've been a counselor now for 13 years of those 18, right? And I help people in their addiction and, and I try to make them take a look at those those tough questions, right? Like, well, why me? Why? Well, why not you, right? Here's, this is part of the journey you're not going to understand. But if what I try to tell them is, is if you just follow some simple direction and, and, you know, listen to what I'm trying to tell you and implement these small little things in your life, you know, you're going to look back and go, wow, it wasn't that bad, you know, because I knew I could take the little thing and blow it up in my head and, and just, uh, you know what I mean? Just, I could make a a mountain out of a molehill, as they say, and like, look back and go, wow, it wasn't even that big. What was I doing? Um, but God, I, I relate to you so much, Rick, um, when it comes to just the things that we put into our own head when we're going through yeah. these things or, or the things that we yeah. think other people are doing to us. Right. And, you know, and, <clears throat> and that's, and that's part of the problem, isn't it, Max, is, is we start living out of our head. And, and that's why really recovery work is all about getting a new thought going. You have to get a new thought literally playing because the old thoughts are what are that's what's crippling you. I actually believed, you know, at, at the height of my, at the height of my journey of, in, in addiction and the height of my 
trouble and trial, I actually believe uh, in, in the middle of that depression, that deepest depression, that God looked at me as some cosmic punch toy that he played with <laughs> you're that, the uh, you're the punching bag yeah i get it <laughs> i was the punching bag he you know i th i actually had this theology that god was up in heaven and he was looking down on his earth and he went i'm going to create rick cromie and screw up his life so bad so that i can have some fun you know i actually believe that i was god's punching bag <laughs> and, you know, i'm laughing it's, with it's, you rick i'm totally laughing crazy. with you. I, yeah i thought exactly like i just said i thought god threw me in jail for his entertainment to see what i would do yeah. you know what i mean and um that's bad theology and and that's why <laughs> how i change things around is for me when i get in these moments where i'm depressed and when i'm when i'm discouraged and i'm hurting or i'm wounded emotionally or physically or whatever that i re i remember something that theologically that really helps me and that is god is always working you know he's not up there absent he's not you know and that's the beautiful part by the way of Christianity for me. I mean, I'll be honest, uh, you know, there are a lot of different religions out there, but what attracts me most to Christianity is the incarnational idea. Now that's a big theological word, so let me unpack it. Okay. But incarnation literally means that God became flesh. In Christianity, that's, the, that's what makes it distinct from every other type of religion. The God became flesh and lived amongst us. So he knows what we're going through. He understands our troubles. He knows the hurts and the pains. You know, he, he gets that. And I, I love that because it, it also, God is always working. He is he's always working. And so there's nothing that's going to happen that, that God isn't already aware of, that God can't turn for the good that God can't, can't teach me something that's, you know, and I can mess up. I'm, I mess up all the time. And it's not just you know, in my, my addictive nature. I mean, I just mess up, period. I say things I regret. I do things I regret. I think things I regret. I watch things I regret. You know? <laughs> I was watching, I was watching a show last night on television. I went, why am I watching this? I seriously asked myself, why am I watching it? And it's a popular television show. Yeah. I told you, I mean, most of the listeners have no problem. Wow, there's no big deal. But for me, it was like, it was triggering me. It was triggering me, Max. And I've learned in my recovery that you have to eliminate those triggers. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to go right down the same path again. Absolutely. And that's, as you know, in, in the treatment industry and in the drug and alcohol, that's what we talk about a lot is how do we eliminate those triggers so that when they happen, we can walk away feeling strong going, I'm not going to fall for that. Right. Yeah. And it's building, yeah. it's a skill set that you build over time. Um, but I, like you said, it's about changing the mindset, right? And the very first thing I do, whether they're my clients or not, Matt, because I do it in a group setting, right? And I tell everybody, here's what we're going to do for the next two weeks. And I pass out a composition book, right? I said, we're going to do a gratitude journal, right? Because you guys know what it feels like to feel like depressed, to feel sad, to feel all that stuff, right? So let's start changing your mindset, right? So for two weeks, most of them, there's always the few, I wouldn't do it. I felt like I forgot, but, but the ones who actually stick with it. So like what I do is I have them right. So day one, right? In the AM, before they wake up, before they have a cigarette, a coffee, they go, they write three things they're grateful for. And then at night before they lay their head on a pillow to go to sleep, they write three new things. And then the next day has to be different from the day before. So over a two week period, what I have found with the ones that stick with it, that actually do it, they're like, Hey man, I'm not pressed. You know, I'm not that bummed out anymore. Like, I, right. Because especially when I make sure they, they change it, you know, the 
the the bottom is different from the top. The next day is totally different from the day before. And then they asked me, well, how does that work? And I said, it's because you're putting positive things in your brain, right? You yeah. have been you so- can't be, You can't be grateful for things that you're not, you know, that aren't good. I mean, exactly. Not, yeah. Thank you, God, for this crap I was given today. Well, you know, actually, if you can get to the spot where you can be thankful for the crap, that's when you're really- healing, I think (laughs) you're, and you said it perfectly. Right. And that's what I, it took time for me to get there. Cause in the beginning, it's like my sponsor would tell, well, when you get to that point where you're grateful for these challenges and struggles, and I'd look at him like, don't you think I've been through enough? Like, can it all be peaches and cream and, you know, and everything's hunky dory. He goes, no, that's not where it is. And like, if you see the people who have been around a while, like the Tony Robbins and, and like uh, David Goggins who wrote can't hurt me. Right. Who thrive in that struggle. Like the more they beat themselves up. Right. But they, they tell themselves, right. That that's where I'm going to grow. Right. And that's what I try to teach my clients. And that's what I want to teach the audience here. It's like when you learn to get uncomfortable and you thrive in being uncomfortable, that's where we grow as human beings. That's where when God says, yeah, all that stuff I put it now, you're going to get through it because you're paying attention to what I've been trying to teach you. Right. Um, yeah. And that's perfect. Yeah. Right. Whether you have an addiction or, but I'm like you, I, I believe everybody has some form of an addiction, right. Some just not as bad as say mine or yours was at one point. Um, right. So My I like, like shopping. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, she's my wife, a shopaholic. Well, here's like you. I was just going to say, I can relate, right? I watch a show and my wife turns on and I'm like, why am I watching this with my wife, right? Like, I don't like that. Yeah. But then I get into it with her. I'm like, okay, whatever. We're supposed to watch this together. Um, but, you know, my wife has taught me a lot about, about um, like overcoming it. Uh, adversity and right and looking for the good in things right because we've gone through some things in our short um, four years almost five years of marriage right with our families and stuff like that but um, you know and that's why I, I, I love like I get people like you on here because then the world gets to see this is how they get to see where the opposite of addiction is connection yeah. right right because if we yeah. were both in our active addiction one i probably wouldn't even have a computer to do this on or two we wouldn't even connect right but now that <laughs> we we worked on ourselves we've overcome our addiction that's something that i like to tell the audiences i work on every day like now yeah. i get to connect with some amazing people that have taught me their way of getting over their challenges and stuff like that so you know yeah. that, that's what i love about this process and, and, and what i get to do and, and and be with the guests like you because you know we come like you said from all different shapes, sizes, backgrounds, whatever, you know, and, and that's what I think the world needs now is to connect again. Right. I, you yeah. see it, you can't, I mean, it's out there, you know, there's so much divide over this or that, you know, I hate to say it, but it's like, why can't we just all get along and, and try to be the best we can yeah. be for each other? Yeah. <laughs> you think about all the problems about, about uh, just, I'll give you a cultural thought here. You know, one of my great heroes is, uh, is Martin Luther King Jr. You know, he was the one that said, I have a dream that one day, you know, we will not judge a person by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Yes. Well, he, he kind of got the dream started, but then the back end of that dream was Rodney King, a different King. Rodney King saying, can't we all just get along here? You know, right. and if you look at if you just look at that as a as a, you know, we, we've since Rodney King, we've just gone in different directions as a as a culture. And I think a lot of that plays into, again, um, you know, the, what we allow to influence us. I mean, right. quite frankly, it's what we allow to influence us. And if you're going to be fearlessly happy in life, you've got to 
put good things in, you know, garbage in, garbage out. And for me, that that means why I, I start every day with uh, with a time of, of introspection. I like to read the, the word of God and, and spend some time thinking about it and writing about it and such. I have a verse of the day. Every day I create a verse of the day and, and put it up on Instagram and things like that. Just to, just to, it's to inspire me. I do it to inspire me, but I'm finding it inspires others along the way. I, I would like to add one. I want to add one little thing. I, I think your listeners might might find interesting on this, and this is just kind of a uh, from my own journey. You know, I think there's this myth about the balanced life. I mean, we talk about having a balanced life. Let's just find that balance. And and yet, if you look at someone on a on a high wire or even you know where they're they're constantly in a state of imbalance, are they not? They're right. leaning one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And if you understand how we even walk, I mean, we never think about walking, but technically, when you walk, one foot is out in front, the other foot is behind. But as you as you lift the other foot to move it forward, you literally are moving one direction or the other. We become so used to walking that we don't think about that. But technically, even the act of walking is an act of imbalance. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that the, the, the key to recovery and addiction, to be honest, is to find that there is waving there, there are, there is leaning one way or the other. Sometimes you, you know, you do have dark moments. Some days you do have bad days, you know, yeah. and, 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 and some days you do get discouraged and depressed, but then there's other days where you're happy, but it's not about the extreme extremes anymore. You know, you're not one way or the other, you know, you're not, you're not, uh, you know, to the extreme. And I think that's the secret to recovery is it's not about finding balance. There's no, I think that's a myth. I think perfect balance is a myth. We're just kind of swinging through life. It's to get the swing to be a little bit less of a mu. <laughs> right. No, and I couldn't agree. So like those, for those of you who are listening are going to listen to this episode, right? Um, not it's Pastor Rick is right, right? It, it's, it's not about, it's like they say in a relationship, right? Like you hear it, it's 50-50. No, it's not, right? Sometimes it's 70-30, 60-40. 90, 10, right? Or just or that 100, 100. or a hundred, hundred, right? Everybody. <laughs> and it doesn't have to just do with addiction. It's like any of us in life that are struggling with something, right? Just to know that you don't have to do it perfectly. The only thing I like to share with my clients and, and the audience is like, you have to have perfect effort, right? Which means you get up yeah. every day, you do the best you can. And at the end of the day, if you've made some new connections or not, but you didn't hurt anybody. You've had a great day because you're, you're giving to the world, right? We can't always be takers. And I was one of the biggest And right. When I've learned that that was my balance was to go out and do my best, right. To always try to put a smile on someone's face and, and help them with something, right. To always be of service. Right. Cause I know one of my prayers is, is always, you know, God, let me be a maximum service to you and to my fellows and not hurt anybody. Right. Harmful to none helpful to some, right? And if I get up and I put one foot in front of the other and I do my best, I know I'm going to have a great day. You know what I mean? And and like today, I get to have this interview with Rick, Pastor Rick, <laughs> who, who just made my day, right? Because we get to talk about God and right and all this stuff and how we've overcome our challenges like addiction, right? So, you know, I, I wrote a bit, uh, book, Dr. Uh, well, it is Dr. Rick or Pastor Rick. I'm just going to call you Rick. Cause I'm going to get myself. Hey, yeah, please. Let, let me, let me, <laughs> let me help you out there. I always told my students that, you know, once I got my doctorate, they all had to start calling me Dr. Cromie. I said, you know, I had a master's degree for years. You never thought about calling me master. You know, why didn't you call me master? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, let's um, be consistent here. 
that's true right <laughs> that is so true um but i wrote this book and the title of it is fearless happiness right so mm-hmm. i like to ask my guests before we wrap it up what does fearless look like for you brick like what does that look like for you and how does that show up right because you've been through some stuff right and i know when like you say triggers come up i know for me when certain triggers come up first it's it's fear and then it turns into anger right and i have to catch myself you know it's quick now but you get what i'm saying so how does fearless show up for you on a daily basis and what does that look like yeah and i i think in that idea of fearless separating the words it's fear less right and for me you know, it's, it's understanding. It's not where you start in life. It's how you finish. You know, we all, we all have crappy moments in life. We all have bad circumstances. We all have, you know, if you think about it, you know, we get dealt a bad round, you know, a, a bad bunch of cards. Okay. I get it. I, I was dealt a bad bunch of cards, but it's how you play those cards and you can still go out a winner, even with a bad bunch of cards. I know because I've had a few in my life and I've done that. So it's not how you start, but how you finish. I would also suggest to you, I, I know that you've got your, your your podcast is called happiness and, and you're the happy ninja it looks like. And <laughs> I think that's, I think that's great. But for me, I had to find a deeper word than happiness. Happiness was my problem. I was constantly pursuing this feeling. It was a, it was a happiness. I was, it was a high. It was, I want to be happy. I want to be happy. And, and I want to, I, I just could never find that. What I discovered in my own journey is that you can't spell joy without, or spell the word journey without joy. You know, J O and Y, they they bring that word journey together. And so for me, I pursue the joy in the journey. And again, my faith helps me out in a lot of that. But in the process, I am a happy person. Now, I'm not always perfect with my happiness. There are some (laughs) days when I get ticked at the driver in front of me. You know, there are some moments where I express my displeasure with my wife. But in general, I'm a happy person because I have found joy in the journey. And that's what I encourage everyone to do is look for the joy, joy every day. See, and that's, you've already answered it kind of, but that's, so you see, I put a Y in the happiness, right? Well, let's (laughs) listen to me. So there's a reason I put that Y in the happiness, right? And you've answered that part. There's a reason, right? So how does happiness look like, right? Because you said it, you know, and I know it. Happiness is fleeting, right? That's, but joy is eternal, right? Like if we can find that joy. It's deeper, right? And that's why I put the why. You said it, right? I put the why. People were like, dude, you spelled it wrong. And I said, there's a reason, right? So when you're on this path or on this journey of finding what makes you happy, right? We all know we find joy. So how does that look like for you, right? You've kind of explained it. But it get a little bit deeper, right? Because that's how I feel, right? I can be happy one minute, right? Like you said, the guy cuts me off. Wow, he took my lane position. I'm pissed off now. But when I when I uh, trust that process, I find true happiness or true joy. So let the audience know what that means for you. Uh, and maybe a metaphor will help this, this out a, a bit too, is, you know, I think you have a choice in life on whether you want to be a thermometer or a thermostat. You know, a thermometer basically responds to the environment when it's colder outside the temperature goes down when the when it's warmer outside the t- temperature goes up uh, you know that's what a thermometer does it it, get, it basically is a, a mirror of the culture around so if you're having a bad day guess what you're 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 having a bad day 
But what a thermostat does is something deeper. A thermostat controls the environment. If it's cold, it adjusts itself to create heat in the room. If it's too hot out, it, it adjusts it to cool it down. And we live in a very heated culture and we need more thermostats out there. We live in a very, <laughs> we live in a culture that's also very cold and calculating at times. And we need, we need some people with real joy to lift it up. So how do I do it? Again, I, I think it comes in, first of all, I just want to model what I see in Jesus Christ. Um, what I what I have found in, in my Christianity is that uh, Jesus, I think the, the when he lived on earth and, and and as I read his stories in the in the Bible, you know, I see that joy that and how he lived through each and every experience. I, I think of my my favorite words of his are when he's on the cross. He's literally nailed to the cross. And he's looking down at his accusers the, and, the, and the people that they don't like him. Uh, they, they want him on that cross. He's looking at soldiers that have actually put nails in his hands yeah. and in his feet. And he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Yeah. Boom. That's how I have found joy. You know, it's, it's having, when I have those moments where I'm going, you know, it, it's easy to be joyful when there's a lot of happiness, when the, when the heat is, is on and, and I can be, I can be very joyful um, and happy, but it's harder when it's cold or it's really heated and to be that thermostat to bring it down or to bring that heat to bring it back up, you know, that comes often through being grateful, as you've already mentioned. I don't understand why I've been dealt this day, but I'm going to be thankful and I'm going to be, I mean, just be grateful for the moment. And then secondly, it's, I, I think, coming back to forgiving those around us who are hurting us because hurt people do hurt people. Yeah. And if we can forgive those who are hurting, not just ourselves, but others, I got to tell you, it's crazy. There are so many things I want to post on Facebook, you know, I, you know, social media. I just would love to type away. And, and, and there are people out there, I think, that use Facebook for therapy. And I always <laughs> right. tell them, stop. Please stop. You're killing us. <laughs> right. No, don't use Facebook. Don't use your social media for therapy. Get a counselor if you need it. You know, yeah. go find somebody like Max and talk it out. But for Pete's sake, stop using it for therapy. But, you know, on the other hand, if all you do is you show off a, a false side of yourself, you know, some of my best Facebook posts have been where I've said, you know what, here's the real me. It's been a crappy day for me. And I I just, but you know what? I have found that in these moments, that's where I forgive. I show gratitude. And I, I'll share a little bit about that. Just, just being real on Facebook and people go, bing, 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 bing. They like that. Yeah. In exactly. fact, I would say. I, I would suggest that that's probably the greatest compliment you can get. Every now and then I get it from somebody, but they say, they say, Rick, you're just so real. And I go, cool. I'm glad you feel that way because that's my goal. I think that's why Jesus came to earth was to show us how to be human. Yes. You know, he wanted to show us how to be human. He says, you guys, you're, you got your plastic and fake down here. Come on, get real, yeah. be real. Well, that's what I have. You, you're a human. This you know, when I'm just myself and, and I'm, if I have a bad day, good day or whatever, I just show people the real me, like not this, right. People right. go, wow, I like your post because they inspire me because you're so real and raw. Right. And that's, yeah. I think what God, you know, and Jesus Christ wants us to be, is just real and raw with each other so that we can yeah. help each other grow as human beings and take care of each other instead of all this divide. But you know, that, that, that inspires me to always, right. When I'm in those moods, I know I'm human, right. And there's moods. I just want to shut the computer off, check out and, and, and go, you know what, 
I'm done. Right. But I know I have a calling and, and and it's being people like yourselves on my podcast and sharing your message with the world. So uh, I appreciate you for, for doing that. Thank you. Um, so what I like to ask before we end this, um, Dr. Well, there's Rick, more. Yeah. There's I, more. I want you to tell the people if they, if you, they want you to come speak or find your books, like share well, with yeah. the audience where they can find you. Yeah. I'd love to have you uh, uh, join me in my journey. If, if you're interested in my faith work, my faith-based work, uh, manasolutions.org is the place to go. Mana, M-A-N-N-A, solutions.org. Uh, and there you'll find a lot of my faith-based stuff. Uh, if, you, if you're interested in me speaking, uh, I, I, in fact, I'm headed to LA next week. I just picked up a speaking date in LA. Going to be down there for a couple of days right before Thanksgiving. Can't tell you how airlines are so expensive this time of year, as they're finding out. But but anyway, uh, rickcromie.com is the place to go there or look me up on Facebook. I've got, I got Facebook uh, uh, pages as well as Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn, all those places. I'd love to connect with you and let's let's create a friendship and make the world a better place. Huh? Absolutely. I know I'll be looking you up on Facebook. I'm surprised I haven't yet. <laughs> Give the audience your final thoughts. Like what, what do you what would you want to leave the audience with the most today? I think I'm just going to go back to being real. You know, I, I think that when you're real with who you are, um, your your addictions, and it comes again. What is the first step? You know, the first step of recovery. Huh? It's 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 when we leave our denial behind, right? We stop denying we have a problem. Right. <laughs> That's the first step, you know, and as long as you're in denial, you're going to continue to you know, medicate yourself. However, you choose to medicate yourself, you're right. going to keep doing it because that's the only way that you know how to solve the problem of your pain. And that's what addictions are. They're nothing more than than advanced ways of, of solving pain. And there are better ways to do that. And one of them is, is to be real because every addiction just creates a mask. And it's not who you really are and be real, be who you are. I, I like to say, you know, we are human beings, not human doings. And if we confuse the two, we get ourselves into a heap of problems. So be a human being and just love and learn and live today. Awesome. I appreciate you. Thank you for taking the time and coming and being a guest here on the fearless happiness podcast. I mean, I got so much out of it, Dr. Rick and, um, I appreciate everything you shared with the audience. I know they're going to get a lot out of it. Again, everybody, you heard where you can reach them. Instagram, uh, rickcromie.com, Facebook. And he said it perfectly, right? Let's all just be real and take care of one another. So I appreciate you. Thank you so much for being a guest. And we'll probably have to do this again. Sounds like a deal. Bye.